Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Tonight, I will be reading two Christmas short stories, The Gift of the Magi and Christmas Every Day. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry 
$1.87. That was all. And 60 cents of it was in pennies. Pennies saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until one's cheeks burned with the silent imputation of parsimony that such close dealing implied. Three times, Della counted it. One dollar and eighty-seven cents. And the next day would be Christmas. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl. So Della did it. Which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. While the mistress of the home is gradually subsiding from the first stage to the second, take a look at the home. A furnished flat at $8 per week. It did not exactly beggar description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the mendicancy squad. In the vestibule below was a letterbox into which no letter would go, and an electric button from which no mortal finger could coax a ring. Also appertaining thereunto was a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. The Dillingham had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity when its possessor was being paid $30 per week. Now, when the income was shrunk to $20, they were seriously thinking of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home and reached his flat above, he was called Jim, and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young, already introduced to you as Della, which is all very good. Della finished her cry and attended to her cheeks with the powder rag. She stood by the window and looked out dully at a grey cat walking a grey fence in a grey backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only $1.87 with which to buy Jim a present. She'd been saving every penny she could for months with this result. $20 a week doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always were. Only $1.87 to buy a present for Jim. Her Jim. Many a happy hour she had spent planning for something nice for him. Something fine and rare and sterling. There was a pier glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you've seen a pier glass in a $8 flat. A very thin and very agile person may, by observing his reflection in a rapid sequence of longitudinal strips, obtain a fairly accurate conception of his looks. Della, being slender, had mastered the art. Suddenly, she whirled from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brilliantly, but her face had lost its color within twenty seconds. Rapidly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now there were two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's. The other was Della's hair. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across the air shaft, Della would have let her hair hang out the window some day to dry, just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. Had King Solomon been the janitor, 
with all his treasures piled up in the basement. Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed, just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment for her. And then she did it up again nervously and quickly. Once she faltered for a minute and stood still while a tear or two splashed on the worn red carpet. On went her old brown jacket. On went her old brown hat. With a whirl of skirts and with the brilliant sparkle still in her eyes, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Sofroni, hair goods of all kinds. One flight up, Della ran and collected herself, panting. Madame, large, too white, chilly, hardly looked the Sofroni. Will you buy my hair? asked Della. I buy hair, said Madame. Take your hat off and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down rippled the brown cascade. Twenty dollars, said Madame, lifting the mass with a practiced hand. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours tripped by on rosy wings. Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores, and she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by a meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that it must be Jim's. It was like him. Quietness and value, the description applied to both. Twenty-one dollars they took from her for it, as she hurried home with the eighty-seven cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly, on account of the old leather strap that he used in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication gave way a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love. Which is always a tremendous task, dear friends, a mammoth task. Within forty minutes her head was covered with tiny, close lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror, long, carefully, and critically. If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself, before he takes a second look at me, he'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? Or what could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? At seven o'clock, the coffee was made and the frying pan was on the back of the stove, hot and ready to cook the chops. Jim was never late. Della doubled the fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. Then she heard his step on the stair away down on the first flight, and she turned white for just a moment. She had a habit of saying a little silent prayer about the simplest everyday things, and now she whispered, Please, God, make him think I am still pretty. The door opened and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious, 
Poor fellow, he was only twenty-two, and to be burdened with a family. He needed a new overcoat, and he was without gloves. Jim stopped inside the door, as immovable as a setter the scent of quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della, and there was an expression in them that she could not read, and it terrified her. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval, nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that she had been prepared for. He simply stared at her, fixedly, with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went for him. Jim, darling, she cried, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold because I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You won't mind, will you? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful nice gift I've got for you. You've cut off your hair? asked Jim laboriously, as if he had not arrived at that patent fact yet, even after the hardest mental labour. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me just as well, anyhow? I'm me without my hair, ain't I? Jim looked about the room curiously. You see, your hair's gone, he said, with an air almost of idiocy. You needn't look for it, said Della. It's sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. It's Christmas Eve. Be good for me, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered. She went on with sudden serious sweetness. But nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put on the chops, Jim? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He enfolded his Della. For ten seconds let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week or a million a year, what is the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. This dark assertion will be illuminated later on. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it on the table. Don't make any mistake, Della, he said, about me. I don't think there's anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that could make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap that package, you may see why you had me going a while at first. Nimble fingers tore at the stringham paper, and then an ecstatic scream of joy, and then, alas, a quit change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the Flat. For there lay the combs, the set of combs, side and back, that Della had worshipped long in a Broadway window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoise shell with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in the beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew, and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. And now they were hers, but the tresses that should have adorned the coveted adornments were gone. But she hugged them to her bosom, and at length she was able to look up with dim eyes and a smile and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then Della leaped up like a singed cat and cried, Oh, Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it a dandy, Jim? 
I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on. Instead of obeying, Jim tumbled down on the couch and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Del, he said, let's put our Christmas gifts away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use just at present. I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs. And now, suppose you put the chops on. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts such as they are wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi. Christmas Every Day by William Dean Howells The little girl came into her papa's study, as she always did Saturday morning before breakfast, and asked for a story. He tried to beg off that morning, for he was very busy, but she would not let him. So he began. Well, once there was a little pig. She put her hand over his mouth and stopped him at the word. She said she had heard little pig stories till she was perfectly sick of them. Well, what kind of story shall I tell then? About Christmas. It's getting to be the season. It's past Thanksgiving already. It seems to me, her papa argued, that I've told as often about Christmas as I have about little pigs. No difference. Christmas is more interesting. Well, her papa roused himself from his writing by a great effort. Well then, I'll tell you about the little girl that wanted Christmas every day in the year. How would you like that? First rate, said the little girl, and she nestled into comfortable shape in his lap, ready for listening. Very well then, this little pig. Oh, what are you pounding me for? Because you said little pig instead of little girl. I should like to know what's the difference between a little pig and a little girl that wanted it Christmas every day. Papa, said the little girl warningly, if you don't go on, I'll give it to you. And at this, her papa darted off like lightning and began to tell the story as fast as he could. Well, once there was a little girl who liked Christmas so much that she wanted it to be Christmas every day in the year. And as soon as Thanksgiving was over, she began to send postal cards to the old Christmas fairy to ask if she mightn't have it. But the old fairy never answered any of the postals. And after a while, the little girl found out that the fairy was pretty particular and wouldn't notice anything but letters, not even correspondence cards and envelopes, but real letters on sheets of paper and sealed outside with a monogram, or your initial anyway. So then, she began to send her letters, and in about three weeks, or just the day before Christmas, 
She got a letter from the fairy saying she might have it Christmas every day for a year. And then they would see about having it longer. The little girl was a good deal excited already, preparing for the old-fashioned once-a-year Christmas that was coming the next day. And perhaps the fairy's promise didn't make such an impression on her as it would have made it some other time. She just resolved to keep it to herself and surprise everybody with it as it kept coming true. And then it slipped out of her mind altogether. She had a splendid Christmas. She went to bed early, so as to let Santa Claus have a chance at the stockings, and in the morning she was up the first of anybody and went and felt them, and found hers all lumpy with packages of candy and oranges, grapes, and pocketbooks, and rubber balls, and all kinds of small presents, and her big brothers with nothing but the tongs in them, and her young lady sisters with a new silk umbrella, and her papas and mamas with potatoes and pieces of coal wrapped in tissue paper, just as they always had every Christmas. Then she waited around till the rest of the family were up, and she was the first to burst into the library when the doors were opened and look at the large presents laid out on the library table. Books and portfolios and boxes of stationery and breastpins and dolls and little stoves and dozens of handkerchiefs and inkstands and skates and snow shovels and photograph frames and little easels and boxes of watercolours and Turkish paste and nougat and candied cherries and dolls' houses and waterproofs and the big Christmas tree lighted and standing in a wastebasket in the middle. She had a splendid Christmas all day. She ate so much candy that she did not want any breakfast, and the whole forenoon the presents kept pouring in that the expressman had not had time to deliver the night before, and she went round giving the gifts she had got for other people, and came home and ate turkey and cranberry for dinner, and plum pudding and nuts and raisins and oranges and more candy, and then went out and coasted, and came in with a stomachache crying, and her papa said he would see if his house was turned into that sort of fool's paradise another year. And they had a light supper, and pretty early, everybody went to bed cross. Here the little girl pounded her papa on the back again. Well, what now? Did I say pigs? You made them act like pigs. Well, didn't they? No matter. You oughtn't to put it into a story. Very well, then, I'll take it out. Her father went on. The little girl slept very heavily, and she slept very late. But she was wakened at last by the other children, dancing around her bed with their stockings full of presents in their hands. What is it? said the little girl. And she rubbed her eyes and tried to rise up in bed. Christmas, 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 they all shouted, and waved their stockings. Nonsense. It was Christmas yesterday. Her brothers and sisters just laughed. We don't know about that. It's Christmas today, anyway. You come into the library and see. Then all at once it flashed on the little girl that the fairy was keeping her promise, and her year of Christmases was beginning. She was dreadfully sleepy, but she sprang up like a lark, a lark that had overeaten itself and gone to bed cross, and darted into the library. There it was again, books and portfolios and boxes of stationery and breastpins. You needn't go over it all, Papa. I guess I can remember just what was there, said the little girl. Well, and there was the Christmas tree, blazing away. 
and the family picking out their presents, but looking pretty sleepy, and her father perfectly puzzled, and her mother ready to cry. I'm sure I don't see how I'm to dispose of all these things, said her mother. And her father said it seemed to him that they had had something just like it the day before, but he supposed he must have dreamed it. This struck the little girl as the best kind of joke. And so she ate so much candy she didn't want any breakfast, and went round carrying presents, and had turkey and cranberry for dinner, and then went out and coasted, and came in with a papa. Well, what now? What did you promise, you forgetful thing? Oh, oh yes. Well, the next day, it was just the same thing over again. But everybody getting crosser. And at the end of a week's time, so many people had lost their tempers that you could pick up lost tempers anywhere. They perfectly strewed the ground. Even when people tried to recover their tempers, they usually got somebody else's, and it made the most dreadful mix. The little girl began to get frightened, keeping the secret all to herself. She wanted to tell her mother, but she didn't dare to. And she was ashamed to ask the fairy to take back her gift. It seemed ungrateful and ill-bred. And she thought she would try to stand it, but she hardly knew how she could for a whole year. So it went on and on. And it was Christmas on St. Valentine's Day and Washington's birthday, just as the same as any day. And it didn't skip even the 1st of April, though everything was counterfeit that day. And that was some little relief. After a little while, coal and potatoes began to be awfully scarce. So many had been wrapped up in tissue paper to fool papas and mamas with. Turkeys got to be about a thousand dollars apiece. Papa, well, what? You're beginning to fib. Well, two thousand then. And they got to passing off almost anything for turkeys. Half-grown hummingbirds and even rocks out of the Arabian Nights. The real turkeys were so scarce. And cranberries. Well, they asked a diamond apiece for cranberries. All the woods and orchards were cut down for Christmas trees, and where the woods and orchards used to be, it looked just like a stubble field with the stumps. After a while, they had to make Christmas trees out of rags and stuff them with bran like old-fashioned dolls. But there were plenty of rags, because people got so poor buying presents from one another that they couldn't get any new clothes, and they just wore their old ones to tatters. They got so poor that everybody had to go to the poorhouse, except the confectioners and the fancy storekeepers and the picture book sellers and the expressmen. And they all got so rich and proud that they would hardly wait upon a person when he came to buy. It was perfectly shameful. Well, after it had gone on about three or four months, the little girl, whenever she came into the room in the morning and saw these great, ugly, lumpy stockings dangling at the fireplace, and the disgusting presence around everywhere, used to just sit down and burst out crying. In six months, she was perfectly exhausted. She couldn't even cry anymore. She just lay on the lounge and rolled her eyes and panted. About the beginning of October, she took to sitting down on dolls whenever she found them, French dolls or any kind. She hated the sight of them so. And by Thanksgiving, she was crazy and just slammed her presence across the room. By that time, people didn't carry presents around nicely anymore. They flung them over the fence, or through the window, or anything. And instead of running their tongues out and taking great pains to write, for dear papa or mama, or brother or sister, or Susie, 
or Sammy or Billy, or Bobby or Jimmy or Jenny, or whoever it was, and trying to get the spelling right, and then signing their names, and Christmas 18. They used to write in the gift books, take it, you horrid little thing, and then go and bang it against the front door. Nearly everybody had built barns to hold their presents, but pretty soon the barns overflowed, and then they used to let them lie out in the rain or anywhere. Sometimes the police used to come and tell them to shovel their presents off the sidewalk or they would arrest them. I thought you said everybody had gone to the poorhouse, interrupted the little girl. They did go at first, said her papa, but after a while the poorhouses got so full that they had to send the people back to their own houses. They tried to cry when they got back, but they couldn't make the least sound. Why couldn't they? Because they'd lost their voices, singing Merry Christmas so much. Did I tell you how it was on the 4th of July? No, how was it? And the little girl nestled closer, in expectation of something uncommon. Well, the night before, the boys stayed up to celebrate, as they always do, and fell asleep before 12 o'clock, as usual, expecting to be wakened by the bells and cannon. But it was nearly eight o'clock before the first boy in the United States woke up, and then he found out what the trouble was. As soon as he could get his clothes on, he ran out of the house and smashed a big cannon torpedo down on the pavement, but it didn't make any more noise than a damp wad of paper. And after he had tried about twenty or thirty more, he began to pick them up and look at them. Every single torpedo was a big raisin. Then he just streaked it upstairs and examined his firecrackers and toy pistol and two-dollar collection of fireworks and found that they were nothing but sugar and candy painted up to look like fireworks. Before ten o'clock, every boy in the United States found out that his Fourth of July things had turned into Christmas things. And when they just sat down and cried, they were so mad. There were about twenty million boys in the United States, and so you can imagine what a noise they made. Some men got together before night with a little powder that hadn't turned into purple sugar yet, and they said they would fire off one cannon anyway. But the cannon burst into a thousand pieces, for it was nothing but rock candy, and some of the men nearly got killed. The Fourth of July orations all turned into Christmas carols, and when anybody tried to read the Declaration, instead of saying, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary, he was sure to sing, God rest you. Merry gentlemen. It was perfectly awful. The little girl drew a deep sigh of satisfaction. And how was it at Thanksgiving? Her papa hesitated. Well, I'm almost afraid to tell you. I'm afraid you'll think it's wicked. Well, tell anyway, said the little girl. Well, before it came Thanksgiving, it had leaked out who had caused all these Christmases. The little girl had suffered so much that she had talked about it in her sleep. And after that, Hardly anybody would play with her. People just perfectly despised her, because if it had not been for her greediness, it wouldn't have happened. And now, when it came to Thanksgiving, and she wanted them to go to church and have squash pie and turkey and show their gratitude, they said that all the turkeys had been eaten up for her old Christmas dinners, and if she would stop the Christmases, they would see about the gratitude. Wasn't it dreadful? And the very next day, the little girl began to send letters to the Christmas fairy and then telegrams to stop it. But it didn't do any good. And then she got to calling at the fairy's house. But the girl that came to the door always said, not at home, or engaged, or at dinner, or something like that. And so it went on 
till it came to the old once-a-year Christmas Eve. The little girl fell asleep, and when she woke up in the morning, she found it was all nothing but a dream, suggested the little girl. No, indeed, said her papa. It was all every bit true. Well, what did she find out then? Why, that it wasn't Christmas at last, and wasn't ever going to be any more. Now it's time for breakfast. The little girl held her papa fast around the neck. You shan't go if you're going to leave it so. How do you want it left? Christmas once a year. All right, said her papa, and he went on again. But there was the greatest rejoicing all over the country, and it extended clear up into Canada. The people met together everywhere and kissed and cried for joy. The city carts went around and gathered up all the candy and raisins and nuts and dumped them into the river, and it made the fish perfectly sick. And the whole United States, as far as Alaska, was one blaze of bonfires where the children were burning up their gift books and presents of all kinds. They had the greatest time. The little girl went to thank the old fairy because she had stopped it being Christmas, and she said she hoped she would keep her promise and see that Christmas never, never came again. Then the fairy frowned and asked her if she was sure she knew what she meant, and the little girl asked her, why not? And the old fairy said that now she was behaving just as greedily as ever, and she better look out. This made the little girl think it all over carefully again and she said she would be willing to have it Christmas about once in a thousand years. And then she said a hundred, and then she said ten, and then at last she got down to one. Then the fairy said that was the good old way that had pleased people ever since Christmas began, and she agreed. Then the little girl said, What are your shoes made of? And the fairy said, Leather. And the little girl said, Bargain's done forever, and skipped off and hippity-hopped the whole way home. She was so glad. How will that do? asked the papa. First rate, said the little girl, but she hated to have the story stop and was rather sombre. However, her mamma put her head in at the door and asked her papa, Are you never coming to breakfast? What have you been telling the child? Oh, just a moral tale. The little girl caught him around the neck again. We know. Don't you tell what, papa? Don't you tell what? Good night.